Hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Rafaela. That was terrific. Um, really happy to be here. And so this is my talk. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. And I just thought I might talk about why uh, that's my book, uh, Lurking, How a Person Became a User. And um, this, it's always funny to see it on the slide like that. It's like seeing a picture of my face by now. <laughs> um, but I, it's a somewhat unconventional history of the internet from the World Wide Web to now, social media, internet technologies that have changed, especially communities online. And uh, the book was released in February of 2020. And the conference that year was kind enough to reach out to me to speak, and I was super excited. And again, February 2020, March rolls along, and uh, that didn't happen. So to make a long story short, uh, the conference reached out to me again this year, and I was so honored and excited because I, I was really excited to get to Sweden. I've never been before. Um, and so I, but the, the tricky thing is I, I had, I, I said, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm pretty lurkinged out at this point. I've, the book came out in 2020. I turned it in in um, 2018, summer of 2018. Books take a long time. And so this book is kind of a picture of where my mind was at five years ago, how I thought about the internet five years ago. But I, you know, the world has changed and so have I. So I, you know, I, I've, <laughs> that's another thing that people sometimes notice about authors is like, if you've read one of their books recently, you might be reminding them of stuff they might have just completely forgotten. And that happens to me pretty regularly. We're like, oh, that, that section you wrote about that. I'm like, oh, right. I, I can't believe that's actually a little bit embarrassing that I, <laughs> I put this in my book. I, well, thanks, thanks, thanks for reading. <laughs> but that's, that's something that happens pretty regularly. But so what I did say to the conference is I am working on a new book. And this is called too early for the future, the book that Raffaella just described very well. Um, this is a book that's going to talk about you know, the go governments and corporations and organizations who are make speculations about the future in ways that mean they own the future. It's, and I wanted to reckon with that power of predicting the future, and not in the way of like, storytelling will change the world, here's why. I mean, we've all heard those kind of talks, and maybe there is some merit to this, but I'm thinking in terms of the kind of relationships, like two science fiction authors, Larry Nevin, Jerry Pornell, they were commissioned by the Reagan administration to write a white paper on the benefits of militarizing space, so, you know, War in space, great. <laughs> and that kind of led to Star Wars and the Strategic Defense Initiative. Again, two science fiction authors commissioned by the government. So that's what I mean by power. Because, you know, if you imagine the future, if you write it down, that means you have kind of a claim to it. That means people have to reckon with your vision of the future. So you're people who argue with you are arguing with you on 
your terms. So say you know someone in a position of power very seriously declares that by 2040, the United States will elect an octopus president, maybe a robot president. Say, say like, this, this is a high likelihood. We are living in uncertain times. There will be a robot president within my lifetime. Well, of course, that's, I, I would hope that, well, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I picked this example to be ridiculous. Um, but if you state that, if you put it out in the media, that means people have to argue with you. And you're spending all this time arguing with someone. A robot president, I mean, we're, things are kind of funny right now, but I don't think we're going down that route. But then, like, think about all this time. Because they put this prediction forth, they're kind of, they're, they're claiming that space. They're claiming that attention. And I, I wanted to, you know, in this book, I, re I really want to draw, draw everyone's attention to that specific power of prediction. So a, a pretty common example, um, oops, I'm, yeah, I'll just stick here for a little while. Um, so you have these examples like um, the, the film Minority Report. So Steven Spielberg's movie, adaptation of Philip K. Dick's story. A famous, this is a pretty famous example that before the film was made, the production organized a group of futurists in a hotel for a secret conference. They all brainstormed what is the world going to look like in 50 years. Many of them work as technologists. Many of them work, have, you know, businesses that would benefit from certain technologies being pushed or not. And that's kind of a side note. But the important thing I think here is that if you went to any conference, any tech conference in 2008, you probably heard someone say the words, just like Minority Report. You know, for about 10, maybe 15 years, it felt like every new gadget with some haptic capability, with some kind of gestural interface, it was minority-style tech. And it goes to show this feedback loop between the culture and the and the technology and how these two influence each other and the, the power that even science fiction itself can have, um, just a science fiction story. So I want to, in this book, I, I've, some of my research has taken me to Rand, that's a picture of Rand, um, you know, the Royal Dutch Shell, that's another company that's had like a big futurist initiative, uh, R&D campuses for tech companies, you know, Bell Labs, uh, Xerox Park. These are, this is where I've been digging up for the past few years. And again, this is a book that's coming soon in the future. It's about the future. It'll be coming out in the future, and I promise it will be good. But the tricky thing here is that I came into the same kind of... the. The problem with me not wanting to talk about Lurking, my book from 2020, it's almost like the reverse that I'm experiencing right now. I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable enough with my research that I can, you know, sit here and, and say a, a very confident, a bunch of confident points to, to the public and say, this is exactly how I feel. This is where I stand on this issue. Here is my, you know, completely polished uh, lecture about the future and, and what we need to be concerned about. I, I just, I don't have that confidence right now. I still feel a little bit 
unsure about where where I'm I'm going in this research. So I I think that's whereas with lurking, it's really just like yeah, I kind of <laughs> there are only so many times you can kind of say there were these great BBSs back in the day, <laughs> and you know it, it's I'm, I'm happy to to talk about that, but it's it, it's kind of reached that point where I, I think my energy would be kind of low. And then with this material, I know I'd be a little bit weary, a little bit um, reticent to make solid points. And I, I think the funny thing, that's a very long preamble to what the talk I do have for you is going to be, and that's kind of like, looking at the sense of like the unease about the past, unease about the future, and what, you know, culturally we're directed to when we're talking about the future. So, um, I th think, um, and, and then, you know, like, this is going to be a little bit of a loose talk, so hopefully that'll mean some fascinating Q&A. I'm happy to take any questions. Um, but, so let's go. Uh, this is, if anyone's seen this tweet, I think we've, a lot of us are familiar with it, like the, the idea of it. So it's a classic tweet by Alex Bleckman, sci-fi author. In my book, I invented the torment nexus as a cautionary tale. Tech company, at long last, we have created the torment nexus from the classic sci-fi novel don't create the torment nexus. How many times has this happened? I think it's, I, I can't count on, I, I, I wanna say like at least a dozen times this, this year. And it's like this science fiction novel, often written by a leftist author, the ideas are kind of scraped and rearranged to justify the technology that it was itself critiquing. And this, guy right here is often the one who's doing it. We all know who that is, Elon Musk. He, we all have opinions about him. I don't feel like I need to share mine. <laughs> you can probably guess. <laughs> uh, but in this talk, I'm actually going to give him some credit. Uh, I'm gonna give him some credit for the spacesuit. This, you know, Elon Musk has, without question, colonized the cultural imagination of the future and its possibilities. And this picture right here, it's of the Tesla Roadster launch in 2018. That's a mannequin. I don't believe at this point the spacesuit design had much functionality at this point. Um, but I just, I just want you to take a look at it and like, why does it look cool? Like, what is it about that look? Like, yeah, it's in a car, but like, stylistically, what what is it kind of bringing to mind? Just, just I'm, I'm going to tell you in a second, but like, just maybe if you could guess. So, and here's the the spacesuits. I mean, like, like I said, it is a cool look. And now, the designer Elon Musk had hired Jose Fernandez to design the suits. You might not be familiar with his name, but you are probably familiar with Jose Fernandez's work. He is a costume designer for films, a number of X-Men, Marvel movies, so you probably have seen, if you've seen a Marvel movie recently, you might have seen some of his costumes. 
and he's also worked for Daft Punk with helmets. Not bad. And I like this one the best. This might be my favorite. It's the, the mask that Michelle Pfeiffer wears in Batman Returns. It's just like a, there's a whole scene in Irma Vep, the movie Irma Vep, where they're just talking about how cool that outfit is. Um, and I have to agree, it's a, it's a nice mask. So that's who was hired, Jose Fernandez, a Hollywood costumer. Um, that's who was commissioned to make the spacesuits for SpaceX. And when SpaceX first got in touch, Jose Fernandez thought it was the name of film. SpaceX, you know, if you're, this would have been, I think, 2015, maybe 2014. You know, SpaceX sounds like a Hollywood movie. If you work in Hollywood, that's what you'd probably expect. And so he thought that he was being commissioned to work on a film. And the quote he gave, a, uh, he said to a design magazine in 2016, we created a suit that they are now reverse engineering to make functional for flight. So that's the other thing that I think is really interesting. It's just like, make it cool first, make sure it looks cool, make sure it looks cool enough to be in a Hollywood picture, and then make it work. <laughs> so with, again, with that, that relationship from Minority Report where you have like these technologists meeting in secret in, a, in this hotel room and kind of brainstorming together, what is the future gonna be like in 50 years? What's it gonna be like? And bring that to Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg shoots from this Bible that they had constructed, and then for the following 10, 15 years, people are like, well, our new technology is just like Minority Report. Well, right here, just skipping a step, hire the costumer from Hollywood to make a spacesuit, and people are gonna remember it like they would have a spacesuit in a, in a movie. And here's how they kind of look with the functionality. Um, it's a little bit different. I, I think it still looks cool. I mean, I, I gotta give credit. It's like, it's, I mean, spacesuits just look cool in general. I don't think I've ever looked at a spacesuit and said, that is miss. <laughs> There's no like do's and don'ts for spacesuits. At least maybe there will be in a future. Um, but so, that's a picture of NASA astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin before a mission. So the suits, they, they do work now, not for spacewalks, but they do work for piloting and launching. And yeah, the, not bad. So again, like just thinking a little bit more about this, like the cinematic origins, the cinematic quality, what it's what it's meant to inspire from us. Um, I, I felt like there's, um, I, there's something a bit 2001 A Space Odyssey with that minimal black and white. And it harkens back to some of the, like that look of 2001. And, and the thing that I, the reason I wanted to bring up 2001 is that the film was released in April of 1968. A year later, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon with Apollo 11. It's like a cutoff line that you have these visions of space before 1969. 
And then what happened next? And what happened next, following that moon landing, you have this era of incredible cynicism about the space mission and like brilliant critical work comes out in the 70s. You've got Whitey on the Moon by Gil Scott Heron. You've got these pulp novels by Barry Maltzberg that are just like really sarcastic looks at, at, at astronauts. Um, and there were earlier critics. I mean, J.G. Ballard would be the number one guy, I think, but there, were, there, was, there was criticism of NASA and space missions, but it wasn't, it wasn't until the 70s, until the achievement of Apollo 11, that we saw this, this wave, this wave was unleashed of, of critical takes on, on NASA, and I think it has something to do with that, like think, images like this, the space capsules return, that like, it's not impeccable white like 2001 showed us, it's, it's messy, it's human, it looks like something that humans have engaged with. And a quote that I really love on this subject, the trouble with, just a, oh yeah. <laughs> the trouble with the future in most futurist movies is that it always looks new and clean and shiny. That's George Lucas in a magazine in 1977. What is required for true credibility is a used future. So he said he was inspired by that picture that I just showed you of the Apollo space capsules as they returned from the moon. And again, the quote was, littered with candy wrappers and old tang jars, no more exotic than the family station wagon. So this is what inspired Star Wars. I imagine most of us have seen Star Wars. It had, he wanted it to look, at, continuing the quote again, inhabited and used place where the hardware is taken for granted. The movie blended these elements of the fantastic with a recognizable, with you know, something recognizably mechanical, like the assemblies and the signs of wear, the grease, it was dirty and lived in. And you know, again, like the Star Wars isn't the future exactly, but let's just like go with it. Like the Millennium Falcon looked like you could repair it with a common screwdriver. Uh, I would have no idea what to do with the ship in 2001. <laughs> Definitely not with a screwdriver. And, you know, that's kind of led to um, inspiration for other, other filmmakers, like Alien. I, I'm going through the big three with science fiction films. Alien, Ridley Scott was very inspired by uh, the used future concept in in Star Wars, so he said, to continue his quote, was like, I, I better push it a bit further and make them truck drivers. Like, this spaceship is, a, these are blue collar workers. That's like kind of a, a absolutely a human experience of, of the future of, of space, of something that's no longer uh, beyond, human imagination, but something that we can actually like touch and change and they're definitely, they definitely have things that they can fix with screwdrivers. So I, I, the reason I'm um, bringing up these two ideas, and I think they are a little bit disparate, but just again, like I'm, I'm just kind of pointing out where 
my research right now is taking me, is that I wonder if we are in a kind of used future moment for internet, the internet technologies, social media, that like there's no question that there has been a wave of cynicism about, about all types of digital technology. And could that, is the way forward something like this aesthetic of the used future, the, the, the ways that we can change and, and recognize it as human, um, what we can do with, you know, can, we can't necessarily fix Facebook with a screwdriver, much as I would like to, or disassemble it. But I, I feel like that's, that's a, that image of fallibility, the lived in and human qualities, um, recognizing that and, and opening up to the possibility that this is our whitey on the moon moment for social media. Um, and the kind of constructive criticism that we got from the space age, maybe we, we need to like continue to, to uh, promote these constructive takes toward, toward the future when it comes to technology. So uh, that was my talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>